Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Because Italian footballers have a history of being involved in fashion. Didn't Vieri and Maldini have a fashion label together? Um, uh, yeah, it was Vieri did. and Brocchi. Wasn't Maldini? Maldini had one as well. Maldini had, had a one, as, one well, as well, I think, yeah, but uh, the one of Vieri was called Sweet Years. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and uh, wait, how do you say it in Italian? Uh, no, no, Sweet Years, actually. Oh, it was called the Italian No, no, it's not the Italian name. Oh, like, gosh. It was called Sweet, Sweet Years. It, has, it had like an art at the center, a red heart with a... With the, what was with it, the for designs. like teenage girls or something like that? Or? No, no, it was very popular in Italy back in the time. And it was who? Brocchi and... Brocchi and Vieri. I mean... And they both were the number 32. So that's also another reason why they were friends. Vieri was the first one to, to wear the 32 and then after there was a trend of player okay. wearing the 32. Christian Vieri, of course, preferred cricket, didn't he, over football? No, oh, he was Australian or born. Yeah, he's yeah, His brother here. played for Australia. Yeah, he's Australian Italian, yeah. Anyway, to get to the real question of what we started our conversation with today was uh, if you had to go on a reality TV program, mm. what format would you opt for? This is on the back of the news that Harry Redknapp is going into the jungle. What is it? I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Is that is that the one? Ian pretending he doesn't know what it's called. Of course and he knows. I can safely say I don't know what you guys are talking about. Do you have the show in Italy that like we have wars putting programs? Well, they're, they're the best. I don't know one. if we can call them celebrities, but former famous people or kind of famous yeah, people. Yeah, they, yeah, they go into the jungle. Yeah, no, it's called. The island of the VIPs. <laughs> wow. Okay, so that's a great name. So it was announced officially last night that this year Harry Redknapp is going oh into God. the jungle. <laughs> In the jungle, the mighty jungle. Okay, well, Daniel, what are you going for then? Big What's brother? my reality show? Where are you starting with me? Because uh, you said you had an interesting answer. So well, yeah. If you don't, then I'm going to be Honestly, disappointed. Honestly, I'm going to go with, with one of the classics, an MTV classic, Real World. Oh. <gasps> What an absolute brilliant show! Where was that come it was from? I, I remember watching Pedro on the Real World and everything. Yeah, it's great. I mean, wow, like, this, like San Francisco, Real World, mm. San Francisco was insane. Hawaii was brilliant. Puck. Las Vegas was pretty good too. That's a good one, I think. That's that's going back. We're showing our age. Yeah, well, I mean, we're showing our age. That's what I thought of when you even said reality TV. Okay. Not Jersey Shore. The kids, them kids, like nowadays. I've not seen that either, Lewis. Oh, I can't think of anything. That oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That I would rather not do. I can't sing, but I'd go on X Factor because I think it's just the least painful thing wow. of all of the options. No, you'd go viral because it could be fine, so bad. Fine. Oh yeah. People recognise this. I'd rather oh, go viral than be stuck in the Big Brother house for two months. Amazing. <laughs> what are you doing? I would go. You got to choose one. I have VIPs, to choose one. Man. I love the VIPs. I don't know if is probably but I'm not VIP but I mean I at least you get a bit of sun right not yet <laughs> but you have to, do they have to eat all those weird things like they do in the English yeah, one yeah challenges like yeah that challenges like uh, running naked all these mm. things what it's like a really weird summer camp <laughs> one, of them, yeah. one of them of course had to eat a penis like a kangaroo penis at one stage yeah there's little stuff me. like that yeah it, it sparked a famous Carl Pilkington quote I could eat a knob at night <laughs> go look that up <laughs> anyway, joining me in record on today's One Football Podcast is Francesco Portio. Hello. Luis Ambrose. Hello. And Daniel Cadeta Jordan. Hello. Keep the questions coming in. We'll get to one or two of those later. Uh, the address is podcast at onefootball.com. Now we kick off today's podcast with Dortmund's win over Bayern. Now I don't want to go too over the top about all of this, but that was the greatest game of football ever. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> ever? For it Bundesliga? Was, it was maybe. good. <laughs> It, it was, was it was good, yeah, right, definitely. It did get me thinking, though. What is the greatest game of football you have ever seen? It's very subjective. Uh, yeah, um, I think if no, you say course, that football to, a, is to a Bayern fan, yeah, they no, wouldn't say that this game was the best in the football no, history. In general, <laughs> in general, what would you say is the best game of football you've ever seen? I mean, the FIFA I think awarded as the best game in the history the Italy Germany of, of 1970 the 4-3 the 74 you mean ah, 1970 on. you're right yeah, yeah, I mean how many of us have actually gone back and watched that match it's actually quite good I oh. watched it too yeah. oh, so you've been on here a little bit but it's very don't, it's don't very you not in agreement as well yeah. you've gone back and watched it <laughs> footballia.net great website loads of old games on there but I don't agree that's the best in okay. the history I mean give me a quick answer then quick answer <laughs> um, I would say 
I want to stay with in the Italian football, so I would say Inter Barcelona 3-1, 2010. Oh, okay. Anybody else got something they'd like to nominate for it? Uh, that Barcelona team beating Man United in the, at Wembley in the Champions League final. Oh, Maybe yeah, not the best. I think being a massive game like that is the best performance I've ever seen from one team. Yeah, very complete. I'm a huge fan of comebacks, so I have two for you. One would be uh, Milan Liverpool, Istanbul, 3 all. Uh, and I'm a fan of that. That's a really good thing. And the other one being uh, the 4-4 between Schalke and Dortmund. That was also brilliant. Nobody brilliant. remembers that. <laughs> yeah. That was last season. Dortmund were a 4-0. I don't yeah. time. We, we don't remember. Schalke that. went 4-4. <laughs> oh, I yeah. definitely remember Schalke. that. Yeah. It's fine. Okay. Um, dull answer. What's sorry. yours? Malaga, if we're going to pick Dortmund comebacks. Oh, that one's brilliant too, yeah. Mine, now, yeah, you got me thinking. The Man United Barcelona final in the Champions League was great. Uh, I would have to go for one of the classicos, though, when I think when Madrid were hammered five. Was it 5 1? I can't remember. Or 5 0? 5 0 was just 5 0. 5 0 was. was a couple, yeah, of, seasons, yeah, couple like, of seasons ago. That's I, a performance it, of a team that it's outstanding. But, but it's that's perfect. It, but it, so it's it, not a, a game. I mean, no, but it was, it was total domination exactly, by one yeah. side against yeah. their rivals, and to but do like, it on such a scale. You're the one who said it was subjective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Picking feathers here. I mean. Yeah. Anyway, getting getting back to the to this game at, at hand, uh, Stefan Busco, friend of the podcast, said he suffered eight heart attacks during the game. Yeah, I, I feel I understand that. Right, uh, I nearly woke up my sleeping daughter by shouting "fuck" at the top of my lungs. Yeah. Right when Lewandowski scored that final goal, or one that was scratched off, it was that type of game. It was very good, though, right? Yeah, uh, you weren't the only one screaming and shouting. Uh, my girlfriend and I are pretty keen Dortmund fans, so if we said after the game that if anyone in our apartment building didn't know that there were Dortmund fans living there, then they definitely do now. Um, yeah, it was amazing, and it was it's for the first time in years, probably five or six years at least, that the entire footballing world was interested, I think, again, in a, in a, a German game that wasn't just a knockout game. I mean, cup finals and cup semi-finals have been interesting over the last few years but this was the first one that had something riding on it It was amazingly the first time not just the first time Dortmund have been so far ahead in uh, since they lost one league in 2012 it's actually the first time Dortmund have played Bayern in the league and been above them since 2012 going into the game Um, so there was loads riding on it I don't think I'm sure we're going to talk about the title race at some point. But it's uh, There is one now. We can actually say that for the first time in a long time that there is a title race in the Bundesliga. Uh, and I don't think that would have been the case had Bayern won. Obviously, they went ahead twice. And I think no, you, you can't win the league this early in the season, but you can definitely lose it. And I think if Dortmund had lost and Bayern ended the game just a point behind, I think the title race would have been completely finished already in Germany. Did you get a sense before the game that it was going to be that good? Because... Nico uh, was suggesting that it was just going to be a 1-0 win to Bayern and I, I, sort of, so, I was with him on that you never know right like sometimes there's so much talk before these big games and then yeah, the both, both teams don't want to lose and it becomes really cagey and nobody really goes for it I think the game was was helped by Bayern taking the lead I think it was helped by the fact that Bayern were four points behind I think Bayern thought they had to win I don't think they had to win I think a draw would have been a good result mm-hmm. away from home still four points behind but it looked like they they really thought they had to send a message and they had to go there and win and I didn't see it that way but I think they they seemed convinced of that so when the scores were level they just kept pushing forward and pushing forward maybe the fact that Dortmund had pegged them back as well they felt like they'd lost something um but yeah, it, it just completely opened the game up and it looked a lot, and it's a lot of the same players, it looked a lot like Germany looked at the World Cup, just leaving themselves completely exposed. Mm, very much so. Uh, what amazed, I mean, you watch a lot more Dortmund than I do, but what amazed me was their, they didn't, Dortmund didn't crumble. I mean, you imagine since like 2013, 2014, Bayern have pretty much had a psychological hold over, over Dortmund. And when Lewandowski scored the second, I thought, OK, that's it. There's no way Dortmund are going to come back from this. But they didn't fold. They didn't. I was amazed by it. The, it's, they've got the most points in the league coming from behind. the top of the league, but they've picked up, I think, after the weekend, it's 13 points now from losing positions in, just in the Bundesliga alone this season. Um, yeah, it's... 
I think there's there's a mixture of things. I think in the summer we talked about it before. Dortmund have there's this big youth policy and this you know you sign the next big thing like Jaden Sancho and you develop them like they did with Usman Dembele as well. But in the summer Dortmund went out and they signed two hardened central midfielders and Axel Witzel and Thomas Delaney. Delaney wasn't on the pitch until the end of the game on Saturday, but I think it makes a big difference to just have a 28, 29-year-old midfielder who will grab the game and try and turn it on his head. And Marco Royce is in inspired form. He looks possessed at the moment. Every single game, he looks furious every time something doesn't go his way. He's 29 now. He missed Germany winning the World Cup. Then he was there this year and Germany had such a shocking World Cup. And I think it just, he looks like a guy who thinks this is his last chance to get his hands on something big. Because he's committed to Dortmund. He's committed to Dortmund twice, once a couple of years ago when the team were in the relegation zone or 16th. Then he signed a new contract. Then again, last year he signed a new contract again when he could have left. He's the captain now. And... He's playing in a slightly different role too. Yeah, he's playing centrally instead of sort of usually in his dormant career he's played to the left. Lucien Favre has come, he coached him at Mönchengladbach where mm. Royce kind of made a name for himself and at the time he was playing behind the striker and Favre has put him straight back in there again. Uh, he's in the form of his life and he really looks like he is absolutely obsessed with dragging the team across the line in every single game at the moment and tactically this is exactly what Ancelotti did with Insigne in Napoli so Insigne oh. was playing as a left and he put in the centre Insigne this because year because you want already. those guys involved and constantly Ancelotti said what's the reason why I want Insigne to get back and find the b- and try to get the ball in the defence Insigne has to be there and this year was the magical of Insigne like he's doing great and Royce is doing pretty much the same in, mm. in, uh, in Dortmund and also if I can add something they have Paco Alcacer which I remember yeah, in August we were here saying oh Dortmund did get a good striker oh the, the, it would be hard for them to score he's scoring everything only from the bench doesn't yeah, score when he starts the goal no, he's still, I mean, remarkable. He has, what, eight goals now in his tally? Seven goals, is it? Yeah, it's, it's eight in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I think so it's just not bad. Overall, nine, it's ten, ten in all competitions. I mean, the guy's been formidable. Dortmund has scored 18 goals by substitutes in all competitions this season. Ten more than any other team in Europe's top five leagues. Yeah, so they've got that. Incredible. Not only they've got the experience now, they've got a manager who tactically got them right. They've got Royce firing. They've also got a bit more strength and depth as There's well. Depth. Christian Pulisic can't get in the team at the minute. And two yeah. years ago, everyone was talking about Christian Pulisic as the next big player, or 18 yeah. months ago even. Like Sancho today. No, yeah, last season exactly. was the Pulisic, so basically. Exactly. And now Pulisic can't even get in the team because two wingers younger than him are playing instead in Jane Sancho and, and Jakob Prun Larsen. Favre has just turned things around and his I don't know what you call that if it's luck or if it's reading a game or strength in depth or a mixture of all those things but for the subs to constantly have such a big impact is huge what's wrong with Julian Weigel? it doesn't fit he just doesn't fit with the, the the style is way more passive way more conservative Dortmund are happy to not have possession they don't play with a number six they play with sort of two more physical almost like two box to box midfielders it's much more dynamic you see that with Witzel especially with Delaney with Dahoud who replaced Weigl at half time on Saturday it's just it's completely box to box with both central midfielders and they sort of switch roles during the game and Weigl he he's just not a fit for that style. I think you you couldn't put Sergio Busquets, for example, in the side and expect him to play that way. And I think Weigl is not obviously yeah, Sergio you, Busquets, you need the but he's the he's the similar yeah, type so. of player, and he can't play in that way. It might be interesting if Dortmund need to break teams down later in the season. If teams just come and start to really sit back, then I think he'll become more useful again. Not only that, but also after his long-term injury, like he came back and you can tell something's fully not there yet for him. Like he's Fitness-wise or confidence-wise? Confidence-wise. You can tell that he's really keen on not injuring himself again. Like he's playing with that in the back of his mind. Like he's holding back when he used to like push forward. Like he's always been this really aggressive 
uh, midfielder. Now he's a bit more coy. Now he he thinks twice about things, and in the middle of a game, you know, thinking twice can cost you. Mm. you know, I think you were talking about Neuer. <laughs> well, well, we're, we're going to that, yeah, yeah. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna get to we're that. Get to that yeah. I just want a word about Jaden Sancho. Quite enough first half, but a really impressive second. Yeah, I think that said a lot about him as well. The fact that you you play it's the easily easily the biggest game of his career. He's eighteen yeah. years old, and you do have a shaky kind of disappointing first half when everyone's watching you and then the second half dominate well yeah you also had Riveri behind you the yeah, whole time he, like he, he was sniffing you the whole time tore Matt Tomles apart in the yeah. second half and also the thing about Sancho that really impressed me on Saturday because if you've watched him this season you know he can do what he did going forward it was actually the way he worked back because yeah. at the beginning of the season Farfra wasn't he was using him from the bench in games mostly because he didn't trust him working backwards and he gave so much support to, to Piszczek on Saturday was it him who won the ball back for the third goal yeah he did deep he, into he the Dortmund half too. I think um, Andy Brassel for the Guardian sort of almost pinpointed that as a changing of the guard moment like he Ooh. snatching the ball off Ribery and launching the attack for the goal that won the game he's Why my favourite player right now who James Sancho or Ribery honestly oh, okay not like Ribery if I have to no Ribery no. <laughs> hey, come on. if I have to watch like one player now is Jadon Sancho. Yeah. It's just sometimes a player comes along and every time they get the ball you think something's gonna a, happen. about to happen. Yeah. It just gets you on the edge of your seat every time and you get the Sancho, ball. That's Sancho, definitely. Yeah. How old is Frank Ribery now? 34. Why does, he have the number seven? Why does he have the number seven shaved into his head at the age of 34? Because <laughs> that's his number, sorry. And it's his mental age. I guess, yeah, I mean, it's, it's footballers being footballers, isn't it? God. Fashion and all. Okay. Kovac said afterwards he could be satisfied with the performance. I D- Daniel is cares more around Bayern Munich than I do. I thought that was Bayern Munich's best performance, at least for sixty minutes of the season, by a long, long way. The first half, I thought Bayern were brilliant. Um, yeah, the, the way the he game could be works. satisfied. Yeah, if Bayern play like that every week, they'll win every single game. And thing they'll win is, the I don't think we have a team. Uh, deep enough and strong enough physically to play that level of 60 minutes of football throughout you know 34 games of the season yeah, plus Champions League plus I think Cup. if Bayern played like that against 15 of the teams in the Bundesliga I don't for, think, for, for I don't 45 think, minutes yeah, the but, game's over yeah true be I guess. Free the thing is like the, the way it felt in that game was we saw 60 minutes of the Bayern we want to see and 30 minutes of the Bayern we were expecting to see like, and Favre said that at half time to his players Akanji uh, said after the game what did Father say to you? And he said they can't play like that for a whole game. Yeah. They cannot keep that intensity up. And that's the whole point. I mean, the thing being that this is a veterans team already. Like Thomas Müller, who's one of the younger ones of the old guard, is about to turn thirty. Hmm. So that gives you an idea of, of what we're talking about here. Ribéry, who started the game, is thirty-four. Robin, who's also a starter, is thirty-five. Neuer is on his thirty-second year already. For a goalkeeper, is not that dramatic. But I mean, the whole situation you can tell that, and you saw that on the pitch. I mean, Hummels. Um, he's rusty at this point. Uh, he was terrible. He was awfully, he was got awful bad. I mean, and whatever be the excuse, because he was claiming he was a bit, he had like a little knock up or he wasn't feeling 100%. Well, then why did you play the game? Why didn't you just let the coach know that Schuller should have started instead of him? Describe it, it a, as his worst game in 10 years. Uh, I, could, I couldn't agree more. I mean, putting aside everything that's happened with the German national team in the past uh, six months or so, it's arguably his worst performance uh, by far. Uh, Boateng wasn't particularly better either. I mean, maybe a bit more constant and delivering passes and whatnot, but uh, you had this feeling of vulnerability ever since Royce nicked the ball off from Hummels that starting moment. And to me, that was when the game went from being the the scruffy affair it was for the first 10 minutes to this, okay, we can actually win this thing. Sort of Dortmund, you know, epiphany Mm -hmm. moment. So, yeah. Speaking of players potentially past their best, Manuel Neuer. Yeah. I would be worried if I were a Bayern Munich fan. Well, that, we are. That, but, I don't the, I don't, but for the third goal, for the third goal, I, to me, an inform, alert, proper Neuer comes out uh, and gets to that when ball. You, when, you watch it, when you watch it in slow motion, Alcacer fakes. He he fakes a shot and it kind of just sends Neuer. Mm. Yeah. But I thought like the penalty Melito in that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly the same. same. And Neuer just couldn't get there. But I think yeah. the the penalty was the one that. Sometimes you just notice how old someone is suddenly. Yeah, and that was it. I, I don't think he necessarily made the wrong decision coming for the ball. I think he'd have made that decision two or three years ago and he would have made it and he, he just can't. He was just too rash. I mean, he, he saw the ball, he thought he could make it because two years ago he would have made it and his body can't carry him as quickly anymore. He doesn't have that feeling of impenetrability that he had. Well, I think players used to go through on goal in the Bundesliga once or twice a game because it didn't happen very often, but they would break against Bayern and you would see players 
not like really hesitate to shoot and because it's one it, because they're in a mind game before they're even mm-hmm. shooting because they think how I've got to hit this perfectly to beat Manuel Neuer and that's just not the case anymore. Well, and the injury changed it. That's what I was I remember the first game of the World Cup. What was that against Mexico? Yeah. And I said that this seems another goalkeeper. It is another. Goalkeeper. And everyone we were saying, of course, oh, it's the first game after a long time, so mm-hmm. it will take it's time. It's incredible that he just didn't improve from that game. It's that's the new Neuer, well, and he has to understand that for me, and work on what he can do now. I mean, it's because he will point. never be the, the, the goalkeeper it, that was the first thing, playmaker of the team. He can't play the same way. Exactly. And he has to adjust. Mm. Are Bayern out of the title race? <laughs> no, no. Okay, very it's, good. It's five years, seven <laughs> right. points. That's probably enough about their classicer. But a really, uh, well, let's say a classic classicer. Uh, so from one big game to another, the Manchester derby, and as Alex, Nico, and Danny all predicted correctly last week, it was three-one to City. They got it bang on. I'm they amazed. Three-one. Yeah, they all said 3-1. I would say that who was sitting... uh, Danny started it and then Alex and Nico followed. So Uh, Credit to Danny. Probably real credit to Danny. Someone who didn't quite get a bang on, Josie Mourinho. He said afterwards if Pogba had been playing it would have made a huge difference. Yeah. Anyone believe believe that? What about De Bruyne? I do believe Mourinho. Go on. (laughs) The Inter fan speaks up. I think that this is not a team of Jose Mourinho simply and he I don't recognize the real Mourinho now even after the game against Juventus I think there was a casualty that United won honestly even if I really liked the after match discussion it, like fr- it was more like a freak accident that they won that game exactly yeah. Yeah. we were expecting United to lose at Juventus and they should have we were expecting United to lose against City and they lost mm. so it's normal now that United loses this kind of games and I don't know what they want to do honestly I don't think Mourinho is good for this job anymore I, I mean after three years this is his third year and tenure you can't, the first you can't moment, it's not his team anymore not, not only that was but also it's, it's a like club that went from being was there. it's a club that went from being title contenders year on year on to this team that can barely scratch the top four um, they're having high Moyes and Van Gaal though of course which yeah I mean arguably but still yeah. I mean after three years you'd expect someone of the you know size and quality of Jose Mourinho to be able to turn around uh, I just, that's for the squad you, you know, he has the resources you, he has the team Jurgen Klopp hasn't been at Liverpool for three years yeah and they're the doing is, okay yeah it's 180 I mean Different. It's just amazing, and he complains about a lack of investment. And you look to the bench, and then there's Fred, Nonsense. who, and I think the only player who Manchester City have paid more money for than Fred is Laporte. I think, I'm not 100 sure about that, but uh, maybe Mares now as well. Yeah, maybe, or Mar- and Mares yeah. as well. That's that was the other one. Yeah, but so I mean, you, he doesn't. You know, he points these things out. He, he, he talks like it's not his team. Lindelof. Like he just got in. No, Lindelof by Pogba, Mkhitaryan, yeah. Alexis Sanchez. They've all been okay. signed since Jose Mourinho joined the club. Lukaku. I don't want to defend Lukaku. Mourinho always, but in this case, I think the transfer market of United was awful in the last two, three years. They just signed players who were supposed to go to City. Yes. Fred yeah. was supposed to go to City. Sanchez. Sanchez was supposed mm. to go to City. They tried to get other players the city actually signed. So what's the strategy beyond Manchester United? That's the problem. There is no strategy. That's why they want to hire a sporting director and it will be the first team in the Premier League to have a proper sporting director because there is no idea of what they have to do. What's the concept behind it? They don't have no clue about what they have to do with Mourinho. They don't know what... But that's Mourinho's fault. He's he's putting the team out there with no clear vision. it's, It's one thing when we talk about this when they've just lost to Manchester City. And Manchester City, by the way, I don't even think were very good on Sunday compared to how they've played a lot over the last year. That's one thing. But when they're drawing at home against Wolves and scraping a win against Bournemouth and losing to West Ham, this isn't because they've lost to Man City. We're talking about this. It's because it's happening every yeah, single. It's week. happening every single okay. game. Exactly. We are dividing like uh, that's the like football related stuff. I'm isn't more that concerned really about. Job? No, because a manager in England should be also. 
uh, like they should do everything, not just no, that's why they call it okay. But Mourinho always managed has always been a strong team, sort of yeah. yeah, that have a proper structure. Yeah, Chelsea is not like an English team like if, others, if there is like a clear structure of the team. It's more European, like there, so is speak, the, yeah. there is not sporting director, but there are people who do that. If, if he if he's like coaching this. a team that needs to score in the last minute against Bournemouth, the last minute against Newcastle, they're losing to West Ham. No, I understand, but I'm talking about another thing, like I'm saying that even Mourinho at Inter was bad in transfer market. He wanted to buy Deco, he wanted to buy Lampard, he wanted to buy uh, Carvalho. And they bought him Lucio, Snyder and Milito. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a good backbone, arguably, though. Uh, but I, I think in the end, what you're saying about United poaching, basically, City players, it gives you an idea of, of the lack of vision. Because you have a coach that isn't Guardiola trying to buy Guardiolesque sort of players, you know? Mm. Uh, players that are definitely more uh, apt for a job as... Uh, you know, for the style of football of City that there are for United. Mourinho does not have maybe the robust team he would wish to have. Like, like he has Pogba, arguably, but he needs two or three of that profile, of like that kind of uh, player. And arguably, I don't think he has that sort of midfield. I think when you look at how Luke Shaw and Anthony Martial are playing now, the fact that they've not played like that for the last two years is absolutely his fault. And when, yeah, he, when these, these players aren't performing, it is all on him. Of course. I, but I'm sad because... I was remember when Mourinho was appointed as a United manager. We were all. I mean, I, don't, I didn't know you before that time, but <laughs> I think you were saying, "Oh, Guardiola and Mourinho in the same city." That yeah. should be the greatest thing well, yeah, in the football of history. Because it all fell kind of at the same time. Because Guardiola came, then came Mourinho, then came Klopp. Exactly. So it was like, oh, so all these Conte was also arriving at Chelsea, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. Or it was just, had just started. Yeah, yeah just started. It was so, all around the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at the heat maps for Aguero against Rashford. And the contrast between the two of those in that it's match. It's difficult because the heat maps, I think they're decided oh, so by... Not like the heat, sorry, not the heat maps, uh, where they had their touches. Yeah, the pitch. But, And yeah. Rashford had one. Rashford is meant to be your central striker. He has one touch in the opposition half. Aguero's banging them in from impossible angles. United, like... It's a shambles. Days like Sunday, you, yeah, you watch... And how old is Rashford now? 19, 20? Yeah, like, you just feel sorry for him being stuck up front in front of those other 10 players because what the hell is he supposed to do to rescue it? Yeah. Run a bunch. You did the ratings for the game, Lewis. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Any standout performers from it you want to mention? The two silvers. I'm not sure which one's better. They're unbelievable. Wow. I, th- I think they're probably the... We talked about Eden Hazard a bit a few weeks ago, um, but David and Bernard. And at the time, he was he was having an unbelievable season. He's cooled down a little bit since then. Um, Bernardo and David Silva are the best two players in the league by an absolute mile. Kevin De Bruyne was except for Mohamed Salah who had a historic season everybody said everybody believed everybody agreed that Kevin De Bruyne was the best player in England last season and he's not started a Premier League game yet and you can't even tell yeah that's true. they are incredible I have some great stats behind Silva's performance uh, Bernardo that is 78 touches 85% uh, passage completed passes completed 6 chances created 3 tackles 1-3 three clearances 100% on his take-ons 2 assists I mean he was it's really the thing that those tackles he's robust as well he's, he's it's one of the things with the Guardiola team is that they this the two defining factors I guess you, you keep the ball and you press like mad when you yeah. don't have it and he doesn't look like he can do the latter but he is he does, he's tenacious he, he does these tactical fouls as well too well yeah the, the hallmark yeah, yeah. no one no one like Fernandinho does yeah. those uh, some stuff from Jonathan Wilson when David Silva put City ahead after 12 minutes City had completed 96 passes to United's 5 and enjoyed 91% possession of the ball wow <sighs> can they be stopped this if Premier League season if, if you try and stop them I don't think United tried to it was like they just sit back hope we ride our luck and, and if you go tit for tat and, and after an hour and a half it'll all be over um, yeah I think teams yeah teams have to be really really organised and probably also really really lucky yeah. if they're going to beat Man City I think it, it, also has it like a, there has to be like a mental set to it I mean when you see Liverpool play Man City like club against Guardiola there, there's always that like you can tell Guardiola can break in rather easily and Klopp has been brilliant at that even dominating the the, the one the tete-a-tete he's always had with, with Pep you can definitely tell that it's breakable right you just have to have a team that believes that it's breakable this one thing and I think they lack is when when Guardiola was in charge at Barcelona if they were 2-0 up in an important game it was over they would just keep the ball mm-hmm. and it was impossible to get it off them and I don't think City I think they play a lot more direct 
captain that Barcelona yeah, team definitely. I don't think they can kill a game like that and it felt like that a little bit when United made it 2-1 yeah. even though they'd been completely dominated you didn't think it was completely over yeah, United won a game on Wednesday well, yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. this and also they won 3-2 last year coming back yeah so, so yeah, be, yeah, I, just, I just think yeah. it's, it's maybe the one thing that Guardiola would, would like them to be able to do that at the moment they've not quite got uh, what was most extraordinary for me about the game and what proved to me that this is not a real Manchester United side was Sterling's showboating at the end I mean Alexis just looked at him Mata got angry with him afterwards well I mean any decent any Manchester United midfielder worth his salt would have kicked Sterling into Rosette I was genuinely embarrassed for them just looking at them. I used to think Roy Keane wouldn't have let that go. Paul Ince wouldn't have let that go. Jeez, even. Darren Fletcher or Skulls wouldn't, wouldn't have even let that go. Imagine gigs. <laughs> just, just, just sitting there looking at him. It was embarrassing. Really embarrassing. Oh, look, do you, do you notice how physical Pep got with Sterling after the game? Hands he's, all over His emotions get the better of him sometimes. Imagine that Kimmich. Remember that, that Kimmich? Kimmich. There was, there was a weird one a couple of years ago with Nathan Redmond. Yeah. It was not even his player. Oh, that's true. And, yeah. he, and, he, and yeah. he grabbed him and he was like smacking him on the chest and really shouting at him. And they said to him, what did you say to him after the game? And he was like, oh, I just match. said he's absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> just tell him how good he is. And Redmond confirmed it as well afterwards. But he just gets so... Oh, he did, did he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. But Guardiola right. just gets so animated. It looks a bit strange sometimes. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a weird fella. He's a weird fella. I mean, you have to be a bit neurotic to be that brilliant, I guess. Well, yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, anything. <laughs> meanwhile, over on iTunes, Clapped in the Hood writes, this is still a great podcast. Still, I don't know if it ever wasn't. Please talk about Serie A. Well, Clapped in the Hood. Finally. Finally. Your wish is our command. Not a great weekend for Milan fans. Let's start with the bigger Milan club. They're defeated. The hands- <laughs> ah, I knew it. They're defeated at the hands of Juventus. What went wrong for them? Everything. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> for sure, Milan wasn't in, at its best conditions for this game. Let's say this at first. They what do you ma- mean, physically? Many or? injuries. Okay. Like they have many, many, many injuries. Biglia is out. Uh, Chanologu is not at his best. Cutrone um, is not at his best. They have basically the defense. They're all injured. They have just four players. So Gattuso was a, a very worried about that. They have and Maldini there. He maybe could have come out and... Given the game, it was still good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't mean the son, right? Who plays for the <laughs> no, no, I mean, the, I mean the, the, the legend himself. Oh, the legend, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, Leonardo in the midfield might be yeah, good, yeah. you know. Or Gattuso himself. Gattuso himself, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so the injuries, of course, uh, were an important key factor for this game for Milan. But Juventus is too strong. Gattuso admitted after the game. Uh, Juventus is another level physically and psychologically so now it's very difficult for a team to beat Juventus and uh, the only team who drew against Juve was Genoa and was pretty casual (laughs) Um, like you said Gattuso we lost to a team that was clearly stronger than us it's very hard to argue with that clearly stronger than anybody in the entire league yeah, Napoli yeah. can't get close. No, Inter I can't think get close. I think it's gonna be an easy win for you this year, honestly. And you already Inter- given them the title race. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Okay. I think it's difficult to say the contrary, honestly. And uh, the impact of Cristiano Ronaldo is good. Because <laughs> he started. We, I don't know if you guys talked about this when Dan was here, but he started slow enough. First three games, no goals. Uh, he sort think, of found his feet a bit more recently. Yeah, I think it's normal to adapt to have like a. Uh, two or three games of adapting to the new league uh, let's not forget also that the first game in Champions League which was supposed to be his league he got the red card after 20 yeah. minutes so let's say that his start wasn't that good also for this reason but there is a stat that says that Cristiano Ronaldo contributed in the 108 occasions of Juventus in this, in this uh, beginning of the season which mm-hmm. is more than any player in the top five leagues. Wow. So let's be careful before saying that Cristiano Ronaldo didn't start in the right way. Uh, and also the key uh, of this game was, of course, Higuain. Uh, oh, he yeah, got crazy. <laughs> he lost his mind. Can you can you just explain briefly for people who may not have who may have been watching other football instead of Milan against Juventus on on what happened, for what happened with Higuain? Yeah. Um, basically, uh, he got the yellow card first because he. 
uh, insulted the referee and uh, because the referee whispered a fault that for him wasn't a fault and he got crazy he got really well, crazy he started to insult him saying everything he, he said to him why always me like a Balotelli quote. Why do you always, yeah, why, why do you always whistle at me? <laughs> why always you whistle to me these faults? And he got completely crazy. And uh, today they will say how many games he will miss. What and are we expecting? Uh, three? Two, three at least. Like it's verbal aggression, right? Verbal aggression. He, he apologized after the game a lot. But I think the league doesn't want to send a message that an apology is enough. good enough to not get to get the uh, game is banned you know so do we feel sorry for him i do honestly i do he was because so that was harsh. his game that was his game yeah. he he missed the penalty before the red card let's not forget about that i know Pipita, Pipita. and there is a big discussion in italy about uh the penalty because it was supposed to be kessie the penalty shooter uh, of milan and Gattuso didn't say anything when Higuain went there, grabbed the ball and said, I'm going to shoot the penalty. And he missed that against his former team that wanted to sell him after they got Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, so imagine story, for yeah. him, what a game, mm. what a emotions. And so it's not that I understand his reactions, but... It comes from somewhere, yeah. Of course, after the Ronaldo goal, <laughs> yeah. there was the guy who went to Juventus instead of him. So I've never seen a man so determined to prove doubters wrong and fail so badly. I mean, yeah, missing the penalty, getting sent off. I think it's also couldn't a case, have gone any worse. I think it's also a case there of what happened to Neuer. Like he's miscalculated. Like he's, he thinks he can still do that. You know, like he still thinks he's Higuain, that twenty-year-old that could actually yeah, pull it off. Let's not forget that Higuain is not a penalty good no. shooter. Like no, he's, he's not famous well. for not being that. And Chelsea knew it. Like also, let's not forget that Chesney had trainings with Higuain until yeah. two months ago <laughs> with That's right, penalties. Yeah. And after the game, Chesney said, "I knew he was going to to shoot it like this." And yeah, poor Higuain. It's sad, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, generally, how has he done at Milan? I think good. Yeah. Um, like Ronaldo, maybe the impact wasn't. Uh, perfect like everyone imagined mm-hmm. but Higuain is I think is that kind of striker that everyone uh, underrates and people say oh uh, he's not that good he doesn't do uh, he doesn't score every game but if you see the results and the stats of Higuain even at Juventus was amazing uh, but Napoli was incredible Napoli was incredible but they hate him there <laughs> because well, he went to Juve they seem to hate him at Real Madrid too I know some yeah. colleagues of ours who are Real Madrid fans oh, and, sure. it's, do we yeah. have Madrid <laughs> fans in uh, and they they tend to speak ill of his name as well it's, nobody likes Higuain instead of Juve fans incredibly Juve fans still love him they, said, they understood that there was a decision of Juventus to sell him because of mm-hmm. The big, the finances, yeah, the big one, the big one. <laughs> okay, poor Iguain. Um Anything else you want to mention from that game? Uh, no, I think nah. that we said pretty much everything. And okay, Milan. That's Milan right now. Uh, I think after the um, the national team uh, week, they can refine some energies and try to. I mean, they're still there. They can go to the Champions League. So what nothing. About, it's over. What about these Wenger rumors? Any truth in them? I think that's very much related to Gazidis going to Milan. Wenger ah, okay. uh, denied it himself. As yeah, well. I mean, everyone denies that this yeah. kind of thing. So I wouldn't trust that. But I think right now, maybe for the next season, more uh, if Gattuso fails to go to the Champions League. But I don't see Gattuso leaving AC Milan because. Let's not forget that the club now is not owned, but there are people who are friends with Gattuso, like Leonardo and Maldini. Mm-hmm. There are players who trust him. The fans absolutely love him. And he's not that bad. I mean, it's not, no, he's doing okay. great. I think he lost uh, five or six games in the last year, something like that. So he wasn't that bad. Of course, the team is like this. Uh, Leonardo came in and Maldini, they came in the last two weeks of transfer market. So they did what they could. And they got Higuain and Caldara, who we didn't see yet, but he's a promising defender. Okay. As for the smaller club in Milan, the less significant (laughs) uh, club in Milan, what the hell happened at the weekend? 4-1. 4-1, yeah. To Atalanta. Yeah. Okay. 
two things. First of all, Inter at Bergamo against Atalanta doesn't have a good score. I think they lost one game, uh, nine game out of ten in the last ten years. So they just won one. They've only won one in the last ten years against Atalanta in Bergamo. Wow. Um, the manager of Atalanta is Gasperini, former Inter manager who doesn't like Inter. <laughs> And let's say that in this game he puts all his effort to try to beat Inter. And that's okay. Typical anti-Inter bias. Exactly. <laughs> But more than anything, I think, was Inter won seven games in the last seven in Serie A. So I think that was expected to a loss, especially mm-hmm. after a week when Inter drew against Barcelona, who was yeah. not expected. Yeah. Um, now we have to see after the international break... What, was, what will happen because Inter will play against Frosinone and then there is Roma and Juve oh, wow. both away so I think wow. and also Spalletti that's a curious stat is not to be a bad manager in December and these both games come in December he's got his mind on Christmas yeah probably <laughs> he's getting aggressive yeah he's wondering Serie yeah. plays this year in Christmas so I don't know if that's good yeah for him you know or he's not. worrying about what presents to get <laughs> For his family, yeah, and, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to do. But I think December. that Christmas parties. In general, was expected Inter losing at Atalanta, so I'm not worried about that. Um, It's gone relatively well for Inter. Yeah, twelve yeah, matches, yeah. eight wins, one draw, second in a relatively tough Champions League. I wouldn't would say relatively. I would say very tough group stage after well, seven years of well, not going. in there. <laughs> okay, but. You know, for Italians, Tottenham is a good team. So, <laughs> and also there is Barcelona, there is PSV who won every game in the Eredivisie right now. So it's a tough group. I think with uh, Borussia, Atleti is the other mm. tough one. Well, in we thought League. that was going to be a tough one, but then Monaco lost every single yeah, game. Uh, exactly. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, that group is cut in the But now they need uh, not lose in London next game, and it will be pretty much it. Okay. Internationals coming up this week. Italy taking on Portugal. No Balotelli, but there is a Tonali. Tonali. Everybody, everybody is very excited about Tonali. Uh, well, <laughs> very excited, I don't know. He's a new Pirlo, is what uh, it says here on my script. Yeah, but let's be careful about the new Pirlos because it's like the new Maradona in Argentina. So. Okay. <laughs> Messi's quite good. Uh, yeah, yeah, but... There were others who were not that good. You're not so sure that Tonali lives up to all this hype that he's getting? No, he has a lot of potential, for sure. And next summer, 99% he will go to a big club. Okay. Which big club? Uh, Juventus? Juventus is probably one because Pjanic, I don't see Pjanic staying at Juventus for many other years, so might be a good replacement. Uh, compared to Pirlo, let, let me say that He has some years of advantage, actually, Tonali, because Pirlo was moved in that position, yeah. uh, position after, while Tonali already plays there. So mm. that will be, it's nice for him. You know, he has a lot of years that he can pr- improve there. And um, he was called to Ma- for Mancini not because he, um, he wanted him to play for this game, because Mancini already said in an interview that he will call players that he doesn't know, like Tonali, he called Zaniolo, which is another young player. He called Grifo in this uh, international Vincenzo. break, he, he, the striker off name. He was never in the case of uh, Italian national team, not even in the under 21. Mm. And he called Tonali because he doesn't know him, so he wants to see him the trainings, mm-hmm. and for the future it might be a good option. Mm. But I think that midfield of Italy is the only thing good that we have right now with Giorginio, Barella, And Verratti, I think we are all set for the next World Cup. The next World Cup? <laughs> That's ambitious. Well, well, let's, you know, given how badly you did it the last one. Okay, the Which final... One, the 2000? <laughs> <laughs> the final absolutely huge game of the weekend took place in South America. Finally, the, we talk about this. <laughs> where those Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires neighbors took on each other in the Copa Libertadores final. The first version of which was suspended due to fairly torrential rain. Yeah. It, the scenes were incredible there. Yeah, both of the rain and the game. Um, it's, as you mentioned, it's this little neighborhood rivalry that made its way down to become the end-all, be-all classico in South America. Apparently it's a big thing. Yeah, people <laughs> tend to pay attention to it when it comes on. And uh, the fact that it was the first time in a Libertadores final, the last final in, of the Libertadores, they will have a home-and-away game. 
as of the next season, it's just neutral ground one game as it is in the Champions League. So it, it, it means a lot to both teams to come this to come right now, especially not only because of the rivalry, but what, what they've done. Boca have been keen on winning Libertadores for the past couple of years. River have come quite close um, with Gallardo. So this, like, there, there are two teams that are that are really, really motivated and hyped at uh, at taking, you know, this trophy. It's besides, it's the bragging rights of the century, isn't it? I mean, no matter what you win after this, you beat Boca or you beat River in the final is your defining point in the rivalry. Yeah. Uh, first of all, before we talk about the football, I want to say. I want the story about those poor Jewish fans, oh, the Jewish and, the fans. Jap- and the Japanese fans <laughs> Japanese because this is incredible. Yeah. Okay. So the the final is supposed to be played on Saturday, and are, and oddly enough, for some reason, the uh, the Boca president and the River president during the week prior to the to the final were uh, appealing to Comebol to reschedule the, the the game because of the Jewish community among fans. Argentina has a fairly high percentage of, of, yeah. of Jewish uh, faith followers, uh, uh, but uh, you know, it was everybody saw that as a weird argument to like move the game on Saturday because of Shabbat, of Sabbath. Uh, lo and behold, uh, 32 Argentinian Jews went from from Buenos Aires to Barcelona to be a, to be a, a real not insignificant distance. I yeah, imagine. mind you, it's not yeah. crossing. It's literally you know flying across the Atlantic from the southern tip to the north. This is not a Ryanair short haul yeah, flight. This is in Berlin Frankfurt, my friend. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a good 12 hours on, on, on an airplane. So they fly to Barcelona because of the time difference. They would have been out of the Sabbath by the time of the game, so they would have been able to watch it. So you know, then you know. It rained, it flooded, yeah. and uh, the game was called off. I they lost their. If they actually watched the match, if they already booked the flight the day after. They're probably flying because back, right? Because they were yeah. saying, I, I read an interview with one of these guys and said that the plan was to go to, on, to Barcelona on Friday, mm-hmm. watch the game on Saturday, coming back on Sunday. Yeah, that was the result. So they probably didn't watch the game. And then they asked them if they will do the same thing for the other final. And they said, no, absolutely not, because we want to celebrate here in Boca. Well, if we were a Boca fan, at this point, I would have liked this we'll quote. Get, we'll <laughs> get into that. So there is that story. And then there was this Japanese fan who I really feel sorry for, more than the Jewish guys. Because this guy flew from Tokyo to Buenos Aires for the game. Again, not an insignificant flight. I think no, he said it was a 30-hour hour trip. A 30-something-hour trip, just north of 30. God. Uh, from Tokyo to Buenos Aires, and 30 back. The <laughs> guy, he flew on Saturday. It's either on Saturday eve. Uh, he couldn't make it. Well, he, he missed the game because he had to fly back on Sunday. So, yeah, the guy just lost 72 hours of his life literally commuting because that's all he had. Did he have a ticket for a game? Yeah, yeah. He was at the stadium. He, he posted videos on Twitter of oh. him in the stadium, at, at La Bombonera yeah. with other Boca fans before, well, it was raining, before yeah. the game was called off on like he Saturday. Flew to, to the, like, it was, so he, he sold the ticket the day after, no? No, because he went in. Like, I mean, I don't know what he did afterwards with his ticket. He probably kept it to himself because, you know, it's not every day you fly to a Copa Libertadores so he also missed the game, probably. Yeah, he missed the second. That's the whole story. He missed the. He missed both. Yeah, he missed the. He missed the the, the, the game. He recently he arrived but just yesterday to Tokyo. Why did he flew to? Because he had twenty five thousand, twenty five hundred dollars to and spare. He, and he loves Boca. And he likes Boca more than the well, rest of us apparently. He loves Boca so much that I saw a picture of this dude, and he has literally everything Boca. He yeah. even had the little matte thing, you know, the the, the tea <laughs> the that they glass, yeah. in in Boca colors. He was on. He was on Argentinian TV. He knew, yeah, he was on TV. He was he oh, like yeah, chance and everything. So yeah. you know, it's that in the Balka and yeah. So in his in his Spanish in Spanish in Spanish even better. Okay, well then tell us about the game because that's that's enough about the fans. Yeah. So yeah, the fans are great and they're a huge part of the game as well. I mean, uh, it was rumbling in the stadium as soon as the game as the ball kicked off. Game started to a scruffy beginning as you would expect between these two. Every single play was a foul for the first 50 minutes or so, but then it just broke loose. Boca scored the 1-0 and the game just opened up and it was an amazing, it lived up to the hype and it was a huge hype uh, by, by Libertadores standards. Everybody was paying attention to what was gonna happen in this match uh, and they lived up to it. I mean, it was a beautiful 2-2. Uh, it was very physical as you would expect. Uh, Boca in the end, uh, you know, softened a little bit and were settled for us for a 2 all draw at home, knowing what that implies, going to River the next game without away fans is, is always tough. Um, and yeah, I mean, Paul, for instance, got injured. Boca has now four yellow cards on their back, which kind of explains why the team in the end like settled for, for what they got. Uh, River, on the other hand, were, were amazing. Uh, they, they just knew how to neutralize and, and counter every single one of Boca's moves. Uh, Guillermo, the, the Boca coach, you can see he was really anxious before, during and after the game because he, he was figured out throughout the whole match, basically. He was not um, in the stadium. 
No, that's Gallardo. Gallardo, Gallardo, was, Gallardo, Gallardo, Gallardo was, was at the other stadium watching the game because he was banned from ground after he he violated his suspension in the semifinals. And, and Where did he watch it from? The stadium. Like there was this one of the lounges. He just sat there. So River fans went to the monument. He that couldn't and access and the, the bombonera. Like it was not like he couldn't go to the bench. He couldn't you access know, the bombonera. You want to know how Latin, how South American this was? Conmebol <laughs> were trying to research ways of blocking telephone signals so Gallardo couldn't radio the guys in. It was, was that special level of the police, police in the police river, uh, locker room before yeah. the game. So, so, he couldn't, to see. so he couldn't pull a Mourinho and go in the laundry <laughs> basket. Yeah, basically. There was an inspection of the police because they were sure that there was some way of communication in the bags or in something. Yeah, it was that so level there of... There is a uh, picture of these police people that would look at the... Going through the <laughs> wow. laundry. So it was... Yeah, they were taking his, uh, his suspension really seriously. Um, and I mean, kudos to his to his right hand. He did a great job uh, holding the team together mentally because I mean, Bumbarera is an intimidating place to play. Uh, they scrapped a two all against Boca away. It's I mean, it's pretty do, open. Do now. away goals count? Hmm? No, not no. for the final. Okay. So it's Imagine. like it's it's this really pure version of a final where no no away goals, a home and away match. Probably arguably one of the best uh, derbies in the world. Imagine um, if they go to the penalties. Yeah, <laughs> that's what everyone's talking about. I mean, it, it can be that. one all. It can be nil nil next game, and it's still going to penalty kicks. Yeah. So it's pretty. It, it's pretty boggling to see you know a game that intense of that quality being played for you know for a cup, and that that sort of the cup. It's it's sort of like imagining Barca Madrid meeting up in uh, for the Champions League final in know. two legs. In two legs, at <laughs> Bernabeu and wow. no, it's not even. I don't think but it's, it's even bigger than that. It's, it's, it's larger it's, than it's that. The city, they, they come from the, actually in the history. Yeah, they come from, from the Boca. same block, the same how to say. Um, yeah, the same district. District. Uh, yeah. Look at it this way. That's the, Boca, it's incredible. They played for the stadium and for the colors. Boca kept the ground. River got the colors. So like right off true? the bat, yeah, yeah, right off the bat, uh, there I, was beef between. Thanks them, to the so. Italians, uh, yeah, yeah. Genoa, I've been to the Bombonera and done the stadium tour and all that. They didn't mention that. Yeah, it's one of the uh, of they the. They don't say that. They don't they talk about yeah, it. They do a fantastic <laughs> statue of Diego Maradona. There. Obviously, I mean, you have that. Yeah. Yeah. There is one place I want well. to be in two weeks. Is. Buenos Aires. Well, yeah. if anybody out there wants to fund Francesco flying to Buenos Aires for a match, hoping it gets cancelled and then he flies back again, <laughs> uh, we're open to it. Okay, what happens from here? Next leg is the game of the century, I reckon. Okay. I mean, the the first one was a really good. Not to hype it up too much, but you know, I think it's going to be the best <laughs> game. You did open the podcast saying, "Did we just watch the best game yeah, that's I mean, ever so existed?" We have come full circle. circle. Full circle. Full circle. circle. So yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be arguably the most intense game we'll get in a while from football. I mean, it's okay. definitely good. A candidate for you, game of the year with that being played over the score early, and it's a complete. I, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be the opposite. If River score early, it's just gonna go. It's gonna be in mayhem. I mean, between the fans just losing their mind, Boca losing their mind, and River losing their mind. I mean, what can you expect? All minds lost. Yeah. Okay. That's all from us today. My thanks to Daniel Lewis Francesco and thanks to you for listening. Remember, if you want to get your questions over and tell us what the best game you've ever seen is, the address is podcast Thank you.